Hi, I'm Debbie Harbeck, and I'm a certified life coach working with women in midlife and through the menopause transition. So each week, I'll be sharing the latest information, inspiration, and generate some momentum so you can move forward and feel more in control of your changing midlife body and your life. Let's go. Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Momentum Podcast. I'm thrilled to welcome my guest today, Eva Moon. Eva is an author, a humorist, songwriter, internationally produced playwright, award-winning options screenwriter, and performer. She's a former blogger for the Huffington Post, and her plays and musicals have been staged across the U.S. and the U.K., and her solo musical show, The Mutant Diaries, Unzipping My Jeans, is available streaming on Amazon. Her first novel, Pinocchio's Guide to the End of the World, which follows the adventures of a grown-up human Pinocchio in fascist Europe between the world wars, was released in March 2023. So welcome to the podcast, Eva. Thank you, Debbie. I'm delighted to be here. I am thrilled to have you here. I invited you on because you have a particular story that I think will resonate with a lot of my audience who are in midlife, of course. And Mm -hmm. so most of us who are in midlife, we're going through a lot of stuff, a lot of changes. Our bodies are changing. Uh, We've got a few more aches and pains and we're questioning a lot of things. And I know you had a particular experience back a few years ago when you were in your fifties. Can you, can you tell us exactly what happened? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. No, on top of menopause and everything else, I learned that I carry a genetic mutation called BRCA1. And uh, it gives the, if you have this mutation, you have an 87% chance of breast cancer and a 55% chance of ovarian cancer. And uh, so I was immediately faced with further disrupting my, my life and my body by having preventive surgeries. In the space of three months, I had a double mastectomy and a total hysterectomy. And this was all while helping to care for my mother who was dying of cancer from the same mutation, which she had passed on to me. So that gave me a real uh, definite change of life, (laughs) a definite before and after. That's a lot to handle all at the same time. It must have been terribly difficult for you. A lot of difficult decisions there. Yeah. um, I mean, there was a lot to do, a lot to think about. And to some extent, it was just, you know, things happened fast. Um, I had my hysterectomy within three weeks of learning. I had the mutation uh, because I was older. You know, I was in my 50s already. And uh, they were just, the clock was ticking. And the doctor said, we need to get you in right away. So there wasn't in some ways, it wasn't a lot of time to uh, uh, think about it. I mean, there was time to think about it, but it's not like I was waiting years and, and trying to make this decision. So, uh, but it was a, you know, it was a big change and uh, and not just physically, but emotionally, and a lot to deal with uh, and, and try to come to grips with the before and the after, how I was going to who was I going to be when this was all done? You know, what was going to be left? Yeah, because I mean, emotionally, I can't imagine what that must have been like. But physically, you had a pretty physical 
job. You, you were an entertainer. Is that right? Yes. Um, I'm a singer and a musician and, and I was doing a fair number of shows and, and I, I kind of stopped doing shows for a while because I, I couldn't reconcile the performer you know, who I was doing my original, when I was doing my original material, it was very um, cabaret kind of sexy, you know, I'm you know, playing the piano and singing and flirting with the audience. And I said, how can I do that after, you know, I mean, I've got 65 inches of scars and feel like the same person, you know, was I, but then what, what was I going to do? Was I going to stop being that person and suddenly become, you know, mastectomy girl? I, I you know, it was, I, so I, I kind of stopped that performance. I had another band that I was in and, and that band kept going because I, that wasn't my original material. It was just a band that I was in, but uh, um, I was back on the stage when I still had surgical drains, <laughs> I was trying to hide under wow. loose tops. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was brave. Well, the, the, I, I wanted to do the show. It was a it was at a festival, and and it was um, it was a fun time. But it was it was very strange to be on stage that soon and have you know after a mastectomy, and and I was carrying around these these tubes and. And, and drains and things and I, I found it but I found a cute um sort of a kimono top okay that would that sort of wrapped around and I just wrapped it loosely and uh I still looked okay for that was it like was doing that did that help with like healing emotionally from what you had been through um yeah I mean it was really that that particular show was very tiring um mm -hmm. uh, but i had friends in the audience and they knew what had happened and i got a lot of support too that at, at that on that on that day that was uh that that felt good but i still didn't really know what i was going to do what i was going to do about my own material my original material cuz i had stopped performing that and stopped writing it and I just, I just didn't know how I was going to, what was I going to do? But then I wrote a song really just for myself and for my husband uh, about, because he was having a hard time understanding what it meant to me to lose these body parts. He didn't think about them in the same way that I did. And, and he was, he was supportive and, and loving, but he, he just didn't really get my emotional attachment to my body. So I wrote this song called, Where Are You Now, My Dancing Girl? Mm. And it's just about sort of saying goodbye to my former self and not knowing what the future brings. And and I didn't, I put, I played it for him. And that was the moment when he, when he got it. So I was, that was the first time I used my music to take a step into my new world. And I still wasn't going to, I still wasn't thinking about 
doing it publicly or anything, but that was a, a an important moment to realize that I could still write something and it, that would connect in that way. Yeah, that that's so beautiful. And I mean, it's so rewarding to be able to use a gift that you have and to be able to use it to explain to the person you love what you're going through and have them react to it and finally get it. I, I just, what a way to communicate. I, I love that. It's beautiful. It, I think part of it was just that he, he had to wait and just listen until the end of the song rather than, you know, there wasn't anything for him to do, you know, to try and mm -hmm. jump in and fix things. You know, guys want to, want to, you know, be your knight in shining armor and come in and slay dragons. And uh, when he's listening to a song, he just has to listen. So I think that was part of what made a difference for him. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what happens is they, they do try to come to your rescue, but here he just had to sit there and let you get through it. And mm -hmm. um, wow, that was so powerful. So, so where did that take you after that? Well, uh, not long after that, um, I, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd had my hysterectomy and my mastectomy and, and um, I was waiting for the, uh, the reconstruction and um, I wrote another song and this was more of a humorous song, but it was about everything that I'd gone through in the hospital, all the, because when you go to the hospital, there's, I mean, there's drama and there's tears and there's, you know, fear and all of that, but there's also like ridiculous things that happen. And, um, and so I wrote this song called Tata Tatas. Um, that was just kind of this lighthearted look at at the, the indignity of of going to the hospital and and starting, but have also having you know gotten through it and woken up and been okay and starting to see that there might be that things might be okay. And and that was more like my old self, the sort of joking around and and finding something to 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 at least smile about if I couldn't like laugh out loud. So I called my uh, my mentor, a friend of mine, um, who's a, a longtime Broadway and opera performer, and has mentored me over the years. And I, and I played her both of the songs, right. and she said, "Oh, Eva, you have to do a show." And I said, no, there's just no way I'm going to do a show. I I can't, you know, I've been this other person, this, this, this cabaret performer, and now I'm going to get on stage and talk about my surgery. But she'd put the bug in my ear and I, and I sat down and just started writing and it just kind of gushed out. It was like a week later, I had this rough draft of an hour-long one-woman show with nine original songs wow and I obviously it, it needed to happen because it just poured out and I actually finished and that that's what became uh, the mutant diaries unzipping my jeans and that became a way for me to come to grips with who I was going to be and who I was and also where I had just been entertaining people before and not that I'm, I'm dissing the value of entertaining people. I could help people now. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I had some an experience 
that other people were facing. And I could be an example of survival and resilience if I could be resilient. And I was heading that way. So I put the show together and, uh, and actually my first performance of that show was at my mother's bedside in hospice just a few days before she passed away. And she was, you know, she was beyond being able to, to speak at that point, but I could see from her facial expressions that she understood what I was doing. And, you know, we all cried buckets and, I've done the show a lot of times since then, but none of it, and I've done it better, certainly, but there's no performance that would be close to as meaningful as that one was. No, I, well, I've got tears in my eyes now, too. I know. <laughs> I'm just trying to hold it together here, and that was like 11 years ago. Yeah, well, it's it's always going to be there fresh, because like you said, it's the most meaningful performance that you've done, and uh, oh my gosh, that's so so beautiful I'm just in awe of what you were able to do from this because I would think most people going through this it's it's a hugely traumatic experience to to lose like you said these body parts that are so important to you so you identify with this with them and and you just like turned it around in a way to I think it sounds like you were doing it for yourself, for your husband, and then, and then just for everyone else. Like, I think it, it's, a, it must've been extremely healing for you to do this. Yeah. I had been wondering in the years, you know, when I was um, turning 50, that was a hard birthday. And I know a lot of your audience can probably relate to that. The whole, mm-hmm. the whole year of 49 was like, oh my God, my life is, you know, this, the downhill slope from here. And what is the second half of my life going to look like? And what's, what's my purpose going to be when I can no longer do the things that I, that I could when I was younger, having this experience. And I don't want to, you know, say that, you know, I wish everyone could have this experience, but uh, but it gave me a, a focus and a sense of purpose that I'm I'm grateful for, and I don't have any regrets. Um, I have two sisters, and of course, all three of us got tested for the mutation after we learned my mother had it, and uh, both of my sisters uh, tested negative uh, for the mutation. I was the only one that tested positive. And I think I was the best one of the three of us because, um, well, I love attention and I, uh, and, and, and I was able to, to, to use this in, in a way that's been so gratifying. I've met so many women uh, as I've performed the show across the U S and twice in, in the London area. And then heard from people who've watched the video that you know it was it's been in some cases transformative for them to to finally believe that there could be uh, life and and love and joy and and hope after going through all of this so oh. um that's just been incredibly rewarding and i feel wow. lucky i i feel very lucky um 
I'm, I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Aside from that, um, everything, I'm grateful. I mean, you, you created that you, you, you created that out of like probably the darkest time of your life that you created the, probably the most beautiful thing you've ever done. So it's, it's amazing. I love that story. I know nobody wants to go through these things. And like you said, I don't wish it on anybody, but to take that and be able to use it and not only for your own good, but for so many other people, I don't think there's anything more powerful than that. So I'm, I'm in awe. That's amazing. (laughs) Thank you. I don't want to, um, I don't want to your, your listeners to get the idea that, you have to, you know, have, have talent or, or, or that is a, a rare thing to be able to find growth and resilience, uh, through trauma. Anyone can, I, I, I believe. And, you know, I had my music and, and I'm grateful for that, but, and here's, a story that I like to tell. I'm, this is not an original story with me, but it, it resonated with me so strongly that I tell everybody this story. Mm. <laughs> Imagine you're walking down a hallway carrying a very full cup of coffee and someone walking the other way bumps your arm and your coffee spills. Mm. And if I asked you, why did you spill your coffee? What would you say? Well, because I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention. Uh, that's one way to look at it. Uh, but I, the way I like to look at it is, well, I spilled my coffee because that was what was in my cup. If mm-hmm. I'd had tea in my cup, I would have spilled tea. And what, you know, life is going to bump your elbow. Life is going to jostle you. No one gets through unscathed. And whatever it is that you fill your cup with, that's what's going to spill out in those stressful, traumatic moments. And you don't have to be, you know, a great talent, a singer, a painter, an author, or anything like that to be able to be mindful about filling your cup in small, frustrating moments with the kind of things that you want to to have in hard moments Uh, you know a a small how do you react when someone cuts you off in traffic how do you react when you can't do something or you can't remember you know like in midlife you've forgotten a word and it was it's a word that you've (laughs) never happened never (laughs) happened you've forgotten a word and 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 you know but you're you're so angry at yourself for forgetting this word that you don't want to ask someone to help instead of instead of act, reacting with frustration or anger you know take a breath ask for help uh, um you know find something funny about the situation that's that's my go to is what's the ridiculous angle on this yeah uh, and- you clearly do that and and I love that. I love what you're saying because it's about choosing how you're going to react to something instead of just jumping to 
the first thing that you would do is like, oh, wait a second, what just happened? And actually getting to choose how you're going to deal with it. So I think, you know, we can mindfully prime ourselves for resilience and anyone can do that. Anyone. Yeah, I definitely believe that. I know in, in my own life, well, for me, it was, is losing my mom was a big thing. Uh, she mm-hmm. also died of cancer when she was in her fifties, mm-hmm. actually. I'm so and sorry. Um, so it's, but from there, like, what do you do with that? You know, you can let that derail you completely, or you can decide you're going to do something about it in my life. So I, I ended up following what I wanted to do, which was led me down the path of fitness and yoga and all those things that I, I really wanted to do because I was an engineer before. Yeah, it just, it just put things in perspective, made me realize how precious this life is and how do I want to live it? What do I want to mm-hmm. do with it? And, and you've done that too. You've, you've taken it and you said, what do I want to do here with this? And I'm sure you were at the time completely upside down with all of it because it must have been so I don't heavy. want anyone to get the idea that I was, you know, strong every minute of this. I mean, I had mm. you know, weeping festivals of, yeah. of just, you know, poor me, but I, you know, and, and this is something I got from my mother uh, was um, a predisposition to look for things to laugh about, you know, laughter. And I, and I hadn't thought about it consciously, but that's what I've been filling my cup with my whole life was looking for the, looking for the laugh, looking for the, the light side, looking for the ridiculous and I'll, I'll tell you one experience I had that really brought this into focus for me was was right after I had been to see the genetic counselor and learned that I had this mutation and I was in shock. And the counselor said there's um, this organization called FORCE that's facing our risk of cancer empowered. And it's specifically an organization for people with genetic genetic cancer risk. And she says, they have a forum and you can go on the forum, join the forum and you can ask questions and talk to people who've gone through this experience before you. And, uh, and so I did that. Um, and it was tremendously help helpful. I, you know, I had, I had a very short amount of time to make decisions about, you know, what kind of uh, reconstruction I wanted and where did, I, who did I want to do my surgeries and, and, um, what could I, what did I need to bring to the hospital that I hadn't thought of? And, you know, just a million Mm -hmm. little decisions. So the women on this forum were just so incredibly warm and and helpful and, you know, while going through their own traumas. And after I had my, um, my hysterectomy and I was lying on the couch and my cat kept trying to walk on my stomach, which I didn't want and so I wrote, I wrote a limerick and I, I'm sorry, if I thought I was going to tell this story, I would have looked at the limerick, but I wrote a limerick about uh, trying to, to, to keep my cat off of me. <sighs> uh, and a limerick is just, it's a, it's a humorous short poem. Yes. Um, and, uh, and then I wrote a couple more limericks because I had a friend who we would trade limericks with just on any news of the day or whatever. 
So I wrote a couple limericks and I thought, well, should I post them on the forum? And should I, I, I was, I was a little nervous about it because I was afraid that people think would think I was making light of something that was serious that, mm -hmm. you know, people were, you know, losing relatives and, and dealing with cancer. And here I was going to post these silly poems, but I decided, Oh, what the heck? And I, and I posted three silly limericks about recovering from surgery. And oh my God, it unleashed a f the floodgates. People started writing their own limericks about everything, about sex after menopause and about stitches and drains and uh, uh, chemotherapy and, and husband's reactions. I mean, they wrote funny poems about every hard thing there was I think by the time that the the juice sort of drained out of this particular uh forum thread there were over 300 limericks oh that wow had written, limericks and short poems that people had written and and so many have said this is the first time I've smiled since mm. I found out I had this mutation and and that was that and that was early on. So that was like the first glimmer I had that maybe there was something I could do with this. And wow. I, you know, I had just written these dashed off these three little five line poems, um, but it, it led to so much warmth and connection. And it was it was that was the first clue that I had that that there might be a path in the future that wasn't just saying mm -hmm. goodbye to my old self. Yeah, I I I love that because when things are so serious, it feels like, oh, should humor be injected here? Should we be laughing? But I think we need to laugh. We need that. It cuts the it cuts the pressure, it cuts the all that emotion that we have inside. It just breaks it open and it gives us an outlet and I love that you did that and that you were brave enough to actually po post them. But look what it did was uh, that's amazing. What a, a beautiful thing. And I'm sure you helped so many women with just those three limericks. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. You don't know, but don't it's know. beautiful. I love that story. And, and I know now you've gone on to write a book which you released this year yes. about Pinocchio as an adult, I think. <laughs> yes, yes. And that so, came out of this it as well. Because um, I, you know, it, even though I found ways to have positive outcomes, I still had thoughts and, and things that were circulating in my head about identity and, and, Sort of imposter syndrome, you know. Here I was, I was different on the outside than I had been on the inside. I, was, I felt like a different person. On, uh, you know, people were seeing me in a different way. And in some ways, I, I still that 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 sexy cabaret singer was still buried in there somewhere. And I, you know, reconciling the old and the new, reconciling the changes and not just for people going through trauma, but anyone going through menopause, you know, how do you reconcile your former self with this changed person? And, yeah. and Pinocchio became sort of a, a way for me to explore those questions 
um, because well, this the original story ends when the blue fairy turns him into a real boy, and your assumption is that he's gotten his wish, and now he's just going to be happily living happily ever after, and uh, and everything's going to be great because he got his wish. Well, I I question our ability to know what's going to make us happy in the future and what's going to make us sad in the future. I think that um, if we, if we actually knew we'd surprise, we'd be very surprised. And, and I started wondering, did Pinocchio, how did that work out for him? Cause like he's here, he is walking around with this flesh and bone and muscle human body, but emotionally didn't he still feel like this person he'd been his entire life up to then this wooden boy did he feel imposter syndrome did he feel like he wasn't he was pretending you know on some way to be like other people when he wasn't like other people mm-hmm. and how did how did that play out for him and uh, I wrote a short play called Geppetto's funeral that looked at him at midlife having regrets and kind of wishing he'd still he'd stayed wood um and and that i i kept thinking about him as that character and then i ended up writing this whole novel which is not the same pinocchio from geppetto's funeral but a younger pinocchio the years you know from the time he became um human until about 35 uh, growing up and uh and and dealing with this imposter syndrome and dealing with being in ways that he was that frustrated him the same person he'd always been which is impulsive um and then i set him in um, fascist europe in the years between the world wars uh, to give him challenges to uh to face and adventures to have but also because it just felt like relevant to things that I was seeing in our own times, the increased divisiveness and rise of populism and um, strong men, strong man governments. And so, um, so that, that gave me an interesting backdrop to, um, to explore his, his adventure. And it was also exciting. You know, I didn't want it to just be a, a, a big long mope by, Pinocchio trying to to find himself but give him adventures to have so that book came out in March and uh uh and it's been really fun um listening to what people think of it it's 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 um getting ni- very good reviews and it's available on Amazon I just uh recently yeah. released the audiobook uh I had a great reader for that yeah um I know that, you know, a book about Pinocchio might not be the first thing that your listeners think of as something that they would want to read, but I think they would find a lot to relate to in in his struggles. And I hope that they'll at least click the link below the podcast. Yeah, and it will be there. <laughs> and uh, and read the read the little blurb and see if it's something that might interest them because it was Absolutely. it was really, you know, part of my evolution writing that book I love that you you did that that you saw so many parallels with your own journey and his and by the way I've bought the book so I haven't had a chance to read it but I am going to read it because I, I find it fascinating and I love the whole idea 
like you said, of imposter syndrome. And I think we do feel like that. I know I do in midlife where what is going on inside me is not what's going on outside me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you feel like is, you know, what do other people notice this? Is it just me? But I love, I love that. So I'm definitely going to read it. How did it help you in writing this book to come to terms and to accept the body you do have now? Yeah, it's hard to say how much writing the book helped me come to terms with the body that I have now and how much is due to just time passing. Mm. Um, you know, my, my body continues to change. I, you know, I'm uh, 11 years older than when I had the surgeries and I, you know, a lot of things change and life continues to change. And I, I, uh, but I feel, I feel at peace with okay. the way things are going. I, you know, there's things I miss about my younger self, but I, I know that there's still, there's still more to come. It's not over yet. I'm still curious about the world and, uh, looking forward to seeing to seeing what's next but yeah. you know I, I think I'm calmer now than I was and that's okay I've, I've you know closer to home I think the pandemic did some of that the you know finding finding peace in your home so it's it's hard to know so many things have happened it's hard to to say oh this caused this yeah yeah but you're but you have come to a place where you feel at peace with your body the way it is and that you, you know, you feel, you can feel good again, that you, you said it took time to get to that place, but you got there. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's things that I miss, you know, I, them, I have a beautiful reconstruction of my breasts, but they're numb. Yes. <laughs> I miss that. <laughs> I miss those sensations. Mm. Um, but uh and you know i'm i'm older now um so things are you know heading south <laughs> um but i still you know i exercise i walk a lot and and i still feel strong physically i feel like um i can still do the things that i want to do my body is is uh it may be different from what it was before but it's still it's still pretty capable it may not be as pretty as it was but it's uh but it's capable of doing things and when I go walking you know everything feels like it's lining up I can feel my spine and my hips you know that that just because I've kept moving that mm-hmm. that it, it just is such a good feeling to feel like your body is aligned and uh, even if it's a little heavier or a little saggier than it was it's still strong it still uh, can move me around and take me to the places I want to go. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a really good place to go in your mind about it, because I know a lot of women do struggle with their body image, even if they haven't had any surgeries, they're struggling at this time of life because of the changes happening. And I think that's a really good place to focus is feeling strong in your body. I think it's a very powerful thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's not just about what it looks like. It's about how is it, is it still capable? Is it still able to take you from A to B? What are all the things you can still do with it? And and you can still get stronger and you can still make positive changes in your body. And uh, yeah, it's just coming to terms with it in a different way and not looking Mm -hmm. at it so much. Like you said, you use the word pretty, but 
you know, maybe you can redefine what pretty is for you at this point, you know, it, mm -hmm. it might not fit into what society is saying is pretty, but you can find it and redefine it for yourself. So I think that's uh, it's a really good, really good thing to remember. Um, there were a, a, a couple of things, I, you know, before we um, end our chat today that I wanted to to tell your listeners, um, especially listeners who are going through menopause or going through a big change. And, and that is to find ways of celebrating transitions. And, you know, to, I mean, literally celebrating a, a big transition, uh, finding some way to really honor what you're going through as part of it is a important turning point in a journey about four days before my mastectomy I had a uh, boob voyage party and I invited all my girlfriends that's something that's been great about getting older is that I really treasure my female friends so much um, anyway I invited all my girlfriends and we had a booby cake and we had um, cocktails and we had music and we danced and, you know, I ate the maraschino cherry nipples off the cake with, without using my hands. And, uh, um, and I sang them my songs that I had, the two songs, uh, the, where are you now? My dancing girl and Ta-Ta uh, Ta-Ta's at that point. That was, those were the only two songs I'd written for that. Um, and then I did this thing that I'd been kind of wanting to do, but not brave enough to do until, you know, it was like, what the hell? I, this is, this is happening. So I got completely undressed. I mean, everything I'm completely naked. And I got up on a chair and I gave my friends little cups of paint and paintbrushes and let them paint my body from head to toe wow. and I'd let them paint my body and they painted me everywhere. I mean, <sighs> literally everywhere in bright colors. There were flowers, there were vines, there were words, there were swirls and stars. And, uh, and then one of my friends uh, had brought a little box of sequins and they, everyone um, pressed sequins into the wet paint I have pictures and I hope uh, so. I hope you do. <laughs> and it was, it was the most wonderful experience to just, you know, have them like honor my body mm. in that way. Yeah. Um, and it was so delightful to do that. And it, it you know, it, it gave me a lot of joy and I think it gave them joy too. the find, you know, we gave them a way to express their concern for me in, in a, in a, a light and beautiful way. So that, that was my, that was my send off for, you know, four days later mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, getting ready for my surgery in the morning and, uh, and I, 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 I God, it was getting undressed for bed, and I, I pulled down my pants, and this solitary sequin <laughs> fluttered to the floor, and I, I have no idea where that sequin was hiding for four days. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll never know. But I kept it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, you know, and I talk to other women who have done similar things. They've had, you know, like they've taken casts of their breasts, you know, Mm -hmm. and and made a, a, like a a sculpture or had boudoir photos taken. Yeah. Sexy pictures taken. Uh, something to remember them by, um, you know, people, what, you know, what, whatever your comfort level is, obviously I have, I, I'm, I'm pretty open <laughs> to trying things, but even if you're, you know, mm-hmm. more shy than I, even more shy than I am, there's things that you can do to, <laughs> uh, to honor a change that you're going through and celebrate yeah. it because I, this is a transition and it's oh it's a one door is closing but another one's opening because that's how doors work yes 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 I love that I just love that story I love you know the whole idea of your friends painting your body and the sequence and so I love that idea of celebrating your body and even if you haven't even if you're keeping your boobs and even if you're not getting any surgery um just appreciating and and appreciating that you're going through a transition in your life and to celebrate it in some way i think that's such a powerful thing to do so yeah thanks for sharing that so good (laughs) and um so before we do go i just want to ask as i do ask my my guests is what has been the best part for you of getting older perspective you know mm-hmm. having having more perspective um when i turned 60 i wrote a letter to my 50 year old self mm. that i think would probably express would answer that question um and i can read it if you like it's not very long yeah no i'd love that here's my letter that i wrote i wrote this when i was 60 Dear me, hey there, 50, it's me, 60, still alive, as you can see. You spent the whole year leading up to your 50th birthday in a stew of worry. What tortures does menopause have in store for me? Will I be forced to retire my youthful dreams for more modest, mature aspirations? Is it too late to fix all the mistakes I made raising my children? How could standing in the wings watching younger performers on stage ever be as sweet as standing in the spotlight myself? Will I become dried up, washed out, sidelined, invisible? Will there still be sex? I I won't trivialize your pain. It was real enough at the time, but let me clue you in on a few things. The ride from 50 to 60 is going to be wild and rocky, but you'll do more than just survive. Some Bad things are going to happen that you didn't even think to worry about. You'll lose some people you really love. Your mother, your father-in-law, and your mother-in-law top the list. You'll cry with many friends as they struggle with loss and pain too. You'll lose your own breasts and uterus and ovaries over several life-changing months of pain and panic. But some things will just cruise along with a few bumps. You'll survive menopause. Your kids will be fine. They'll find jobs and become people you like hanging out with and who make you feel like you didn't totally blow the mom thing. You'll get a bunion and you'll need reading glasses and you'll struggle to keep your weight under control, but you'll manage. You'll still have sex. 
it won't be the same, but it'll still be good, just in a different way. You picked a good man. Some really amazing, unexpected, and wonderful things will happen, too. You'll find your voice in writing and embark on a whole new career. Pain becomes art. Art becomes joy. And all that worry about losing your spot on stage? Just wait until you stand in the wings and hear your words in the mouths of younger performers. You'll support and encourage other artists in meaningful ways. You'll rediscover the joy of best girlfriends and treasure them in ways that never crossed your mind when you were so worried about being attractive to men. So while there are things to worry about, ultimately, there's nothing to worry about. I have no desire for do-overs. I don't want to stop the clock now that it's ticking towards such promising adventures. You saw 50s. 50 as a precipice you were teetering on the edge of, and it was a long, long way down. But the precipice is where you have to go for the best view, and 60 feels like wings mm. with love. 60. Wow. Bravo. <laughs> I I love that. Beautiful, beautiful. It's such a such a way to wrap up that difficult decade. Yeah, for you you know it's a really beautiful way to sum it all up and end on a on a, on a high literally and yeah, I know uh, what no way I have no idea what I'm going to write when I turn 70 <laughs> yeah well you kind of hope it'll be more plain than that but <laughs> but uh I'm I mean you're still doing things you just wrote a book so <laughs> I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of things in store in your 60s and you're already part way through so I'm sure there's a lot you're going to write in that, in that letter to yourself as well. So, and, we'll and uh, that's such an inspiring thing to do. Um, I would, I should, I should do that. I love, I love that idea. I just turned 51. So write to my 41 year old self, cause I didn't mm -hmm. do it at 50, but uh, what a great idea. Thanks so much for, for sharing that. I really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. So um, I'm kind of sad that we're going to, I have to say goodbye to you, but uh, it's been such a really nice chat and I really love everything you shared. And I just think it's going to offer so much value to everybody who's listening. So, I hope so if anybody in my audience wants to get in touch with you, learn more about you, how can they get in touch with you? Oh, the best way is to go to my website. It's evamoon.net. Evamoon.net. And, uh, and I'm also on... Um... I'm most I'm, I'm social media. I mostly do Facebook. Uh, I'm Eva Moon Writer is my professional page on on Facebook, um, and I do a little bit of Instagram. But my website is is the best way to reach out to me because I have a contact form. I love talking to people. Feel mm. free to write. <laughs> mm. I'm sure you'll uh, get some some writing. I hope maybe so. a limerick or two. That would be nice. That would be nice. Well, a limerick about, about your podcast. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. Anybody who wants to write a limerick for Eva <laughs> about the podcast, that would be welcome. So that, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. And of course, all the information you shared, including the link to your book, uh, will be in the show notes and uh, as part of this podcast. So thanks again for joining me. And uh, I hope we can talk again soon, Eva. I look forward to finding out maybe when you're 70 and we can we can see how the <laughs> yeah. decade went. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep in touch. It was delightful to talk to you. I really enjoyed our chat today. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Midlife Momentum Podcast. If you want to learn more about working with me, come visit me at debbieharbeckcoaching.com. That's Debbie, I-E, Harbeck with a C, coaching.com. See you next week.